0: start this morning. Sorry for the Jerry rig set up here with the microphone. We're having technical issues, but it'll we'll all work out. I just wanted to start um, just by saying this morning, I don't know about for you guys, but <laughs> with kids, trying to get them to church or just things going on in our lives can be difficult um, if I'm honest, even for myself to Feel prepared, ready to go to worship, ready to worship the Lord. <laughs> you know whether it's kids stressing me out or the things of life, and um, it's good to just take that time and think about why we're here, why we've come to worship the Lord, and how we're doing that together with the saints of all all around the globe. And I'm reminded of that this morning. We received a letter um, from Faith Lutheran Church in Bloomington with uh, just a financial donation. And they write this letter. I just thought I'd share it with you guys. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ at Covenant Reform Baptist Church, we praise God for your faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ indicator. May the Holy Spirit continue to grow you in grace and love as you grow disciples to the glory of God. Blessings, Faith Lutheran. So just wanted to share that, that brothers and sisters... Not even of the same denomination, as we've seen with you know our Presbyterian brothers and sisters coming and preaching here. That we're united by the gospel, and just just means a lot to um, to have that. Whether it's financial uh, support, or prayer support, or time, or whatever it is, uh, it's a blessing. So if you want to stand with me this morning, um, we're gonna. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 100. And again, we're reminded of all the earth singing for joy, praising the name of the Lord. So I'll read the bold section if you'll follow along after me. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. If you want to remain standing and turn, or rather hold the hand out in your hand and we'll sing In Christ Alone. this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's amazing how frequently we are prone to do this. Not only not acknowledge our sin, but to try to cover it, right? Like Adam and Eve in the garden. They try to hide their face from the Lord. They try to create their own righteousness, cover themselves with their own leaves, this garment of their own making. And how often do we do that? We fail not only to acknowledge our sin, but then we transgress even more and try to cover our iniquity, to try to cover up what we've done wrong. Whether those are sins of omission, which is when we fail to do something that we should do, or sins of commission, which is when we do something that we should not do, right? So whether it's failing to do something that we should do or doing something we should not do, it feels like a Dr. Seuss line, but whatever it is, whatever, whether it's sins of commission or omission, we need to bring those before the Lord and not hide our iniquity, acknowledge our sin before the Lord and confess And we know that he will forgive the iniquity of our sin. So let's pray this prayer of confession together this morning. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father, maker of heaven and earth, we come before you this morning humbling ourselves, aware of our sinfulness and our tendency to follow our own way. We have violated your holy commandments and transgressed your law. With heartfelt sorrow, we repent and turn away from all our offenses. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, have compassion on us. And by the grace of your Holy Spirit, produce in us the fruits of holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I going to turn to hymn number 246. We'll sing, Be Thou My Vision." Look. forgive me. This iniquity that I've committed, this sin that I've tried to cover, how could a holy God forgive me? And not only forgive me, but give me his perfect righteousness. And we know that it's possible, not because of how good we are, but because of God, his mercy, his grace, his goodness, and the gospel of Christ. And so as we come to our assurance of pardon this morning... We're answering the question, what is our assurance? And the answer is Christ crucified. We see these words in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you in weakness. In great weakness, Lord. Not only wisdom, weakness in our body, weakness in our soul, Lord. And we come, maybe even this morning, with weak faith. Faith that is struggling. Struggling to believe your promises. Struggling to believe that you could forgive us. That you could atone for our iniquity, Lord. But we know that for those who believe, who trust in Christ crucified this morning, there's great hope, hope that is outside of ourselves, hope that's not tied to emotional highs or lows, hope that's not tied to whether we feel this great joy this morning or whether we're weighed down by the weight weight of this world, but a hope that is outside of ourselves that's objective. And we see this morning that Christ has done it. He's the one that's been crucified, that's paid for our sins, taken the wrath that we deserved. And so there's great power this morning, not in external things, but in Christ crucified. The power of God and the wisdom of God. So may our hope be in that this morning. May we have great assurance this morning that for those who have put their faith in Christ there is assurance there is hope there is there is salvation we pray for your church around the world this morning lord the church that's persecuted the church that's gathering together this morning whether through great persecution or gathering as we are lord we pray that you would uh, be with your church this morning that you would grow your church that you would be worshipped in spirit and truth this morning Uh, we pray for the church locally in Illinois and around um, central Illinois we pray that your gospel would go out that people that do not know you would be convicted of their sin that they would come to true saving faith in Christ that they would see their great need for a savior and a local body and that they would come and worship and grow in their faith We pray for us this morning, that you would come by your Spirit and minister to us, that you would be present here this morning, that where we are weak, that you would bind up our our wounds, where we are proud, would you humble us this morning, Lord, and would we come together as a body, as believers in Christ, and worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit this morning, and we know that you promised to meet with us when we gather by your Word and when your spirit is here, Lord, so we pray that you would be with us and draw near to us this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. 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 And finally, each week we, we have this confession of faith where we, where we corporately come together. Maybe it's a creed. Maybe it's something out of our confession. This morning it comes from one of our catechism questions. The question is this, what is faith in Jesus? And this question can often get mixed with other things. Maybe it's faith plus works, right? And even sometimes the way we define faith, it can be in such a way that people think faith isn't just believing in Christ, but it's all these other things, right? Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but we get a clear definition this morning. What is faith in Jesus? Would you read aloud with me the answer? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the Gospel. Amen. Do you want to be seated? Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. Good morning again. It's good to be with you all. Um, We'll be continuing our study through the Gospel of John. We'll be finishing up chapter 4 this morning. For those of you that have been with us through our study of John, we've seen many things. There's lots to recap. Starting all the way back in John chapter 3, we saw Jesus have this interaction with these various peoples. In John chapter 3, we saw Jesus have an interaction with the religious leader of the day, a Pharisee, Nicodemus. And he comes to him, and even though Nicodemus is confessing these true things about Christ... Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue and he says, you must be born again, that your works, your obedience to the law is not enough to make you right with God, that the spirit of God has to act, has to make you new, has to cleanse you, regenerate you. That is what is going to get you into the kingdom of God, not mere works, not external obedience, not just being a Jew or being in the right family, but obe- but um, this new birth that Jesus talks about. And we see that contrasted with the woman at the well, as we saw at the beginning of John chapter 4. We saw Jesus and this woman of Samaria. And there's this great contrast. We've talked about this several times. I won't um, keep going into that. But there's this great contrast between this religious leader, this one that has a great part of the Old Testament memorized, and this Samaritan woman who's a heretic and a half breed, right? She's not fully Jewish. The Samaritans were these hated people of the Jews, and yet we see Jesus come to her, tell her about this living water, and reveal that he is the Christ, the Messiah, this chosen one from Abraham that would come and bless the nations. And we see her believe, and not only that, but go to the Samaritans, go to the people of her town, and say, come and see. Come and see a man that told me all I ever did And we see many of the Samaritans believe because of this message. So Jesus has gone from Judea, he's gone up to Samaria, and this morning we'll see him interact with a a Gentile. Many believe a Gentile officer. So we've seen this progression of going to the Jews and in small part going to the Samaritans. And this morning we'll see this message even reach a Gentile officer. And I say that because even in our text today, we're going to see another contrast between the last couple of verses that we looked at last week, where it looks as if these Galileans, these Jewish people, are welcoming Christ, but we'll see this morning that their welcome is very superficial in its understanding. It's only wanting these signs and wonders that Jesus performs, and we're going to see Jesus confront that thinking this morning, but that's going to be contrasted with this faith of the ga- of the, um, the officer, this Gentile officer. So what are we looking at this morning? Well we're going to see the healing of this officer's son, this healing, that's the sign this is the book of John, John focuses on the seven signs that Jesus performed. And in chapters one through 12 we see seven signs that John describes that Jesus did. He says there's a lot of other things that Jesus did, there's a lot of other signs. But these are written, why? So that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. So while this passage involves a miracle, we're going to see the miraculous healing of a son from a long distance away. Jesus isn't even present when this happens. Even though we see this sign, this great miracle, that's not the main point of this passage. That's not the main point of this passage. And we would fail at understanding this passage if all we did was focus on the miracle and say to ourselves, how can I have a miracle like that? (laughs) How can I have a healing like that? How can I have Jesus minister in my life in that same way? What this passage is really about is how God is seeking true saving faith. True saving faith. Not superficial faith. Not... um, shallow faith but true saving faith. We saw in John chapter 4 that it says God is seeking true worshipers. True worshipers. Those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if we look around in our world today, there's plenty of false worshipers. We talked about this a little bit before. Whether it's an unbeliever who worships creatures and not the Creator. But for many people, There's also other types of false worship. It's not just unbelieving false worship. It's not just atheistic false worship. It's even people that are professing the name of Christ but are failing to worship God rightly. Their worship is either shallow or superficial. It's concerned maybe with signs and wonders. Maybe it's concerned with fame and seeing how big of an audience one can get from talking about Jesus. Maybe it's concerned with money. How much money can someone get from talking about the things of God? But we know this is all false worship. And so what we're going to see this morning in our text, in John chapter 4, is that faith needs to be in the person and work of Christ alone. Not in superficial things, not in shallow things like external fame, signs and wonders, but in the person and work of Christ. And ultimately... It's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith that matters. It's not how strong our faith is, how much strength we can muster up, because we're going to see this morning. Even though there's faith here, it's weak faith. It's mixed with unbelief. But ultimately, it's not about the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. So hopefully we see that this morning. So we'll be in verses 46 through the end of chapter 4. Verse 54, I'm going to read the passage, I'll pray for us, and and then we'll look at God's word. John chapter 4, this is the word of the Lord. So he, that is Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, Judea to Galilee, he said to him, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him, he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come for Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Gospel of John. We pray this morning that we would not be focused merely on this great account of the healing of the official son. We would not just focus on the external healing on the, on the sign itself, but our eyes would run up the sign to the, the one who did the sign, the Lord of glory, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that this morning, that by seeing Him with the eyes of faith, we might have life. We might have life. Not just life That we have by nature of being alive, but life eternal, life everlasting. Lord, we are helpless this morning. We cannot accomplish these things on our own. No words that I can say can change anyone's here's heart. No words that I say can even change my heart, Lord. It is you alone by your spirit that can cause and effect change from heaven in the souls of your people. So we pray this morning that we would not trust in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Um, It's amazing how stories that we tell our kids, or even how... Bible stories, when they're communicated to our children, whether it's through a book or Sunday school, maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, how we can change things about the story to make it more accessible to our kids. Now sometimes, there's a, there's a good part of that, right? We're not, we have to make it easy for our kids to understand sometimes, we're not going to, you know, give them these giant words that they can't explain um, so we have to communicate truth in the right way. But our, our kids actually have a book about this story, about the healing of the official son. And it's just interesting what gets left out of that story. And what gets left out of the story is this, these words of Jesus. <laughs> where he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the story, you know, as it's told in this book, is all about how this man wants to see his son healed. And Jesus says, go and your son will be well." And what's missing is this confrontation. <laughs> and we don't always like that confrontation. We don't even... Sometimes we can read these words and we can think, this is harsh. And if you were following with me as we read this morning, we can think to ourselves, why are these words here? Why does Jesus say these words? And hopefully by the end of this um, explanation this morning. We'll see why these words are here, why it's important that Jesus said what he said, why he did what he did, and the effect that that caused in this man and in his house. So we'll look at the setting this morning. We'll look at verses 46 and 47 so we can see the setting of this sign. Then we'll look at the sign itself in verses 48 through 50, and then we'll look at the response to this sign in verses 51 through 54. So first, the setting. So we came from Jesus. He, he'd just come from um, Samaria. He'd come from Judea, as we saw. He cleansed the temple. All these things are happening. And he's made his way back to his hometown. And he has gone again to Cana and Galilee. So he's in Cana. And then as we read in verse 46, we see that there's a man there, an official, who's in Capernaum, which is about 20 miles away. And it's all uphill to Cana. <laughs> so there's this great distance. There's 20 miles in between Jesus and this man. And we see that this official has a son and this son is ill. And so he's an official. He's a servant to Antipas, who was the, the ruler of that time. People even in other gospel accounts, he's referred to as a king, even though he wasn't formally a king. He is regarded as that by some people. And so there's this official, there's this man of great power, great authority, is more than likely a Gentile, and he has a son who is ill. And word has gotten out about this Jesus of Nazareth. Now, in John's Gospel, the only sign that's been done up until this point is the turning of water into wine. But we know from other Gospel accounts, this isn't the only signs that Jesus has been doing. So word is getting out about this one who is able to work miracles. To heal people, to turn water into wine, and word has gotten to this Gentile official. He's heard about these signs and miracles of Christ, and his son is dying. We read in verse 47 that he's at the point of death. That there's no special doctors at this time. There's no special hospitals that you can go to to have you know expert doctors look at the sickness and diagnose it, and there's not modern medicine, many things that we have to be thankful for, the sentence of this man, and that sentence of this son is certain death. And so maybe you know someone in your life, maybe you've had a child be deathly ill before, maybe you've had someone you know whose child was sick, or maybe it doesn't even have to be a son or a child, it could be just someone you know that's sick. And the feeling that you have When someone is ill, and it is most certainly, at some point, going to lead to their their death. And that's a weighty thing. It's a very weighty thing. And this official hears about Christ, that he can work miracles, that he can heal the sick, and so he comes. He comes 20 miles. (laughs) He walks 20 miles uphill the entire way to come and see this man Christ. He's heard about the power of Christ, and he has heard that this Jesus can heal the sick. And so we see in verse 47 that he goes to Jesus and he asks him to come down to Capernaum and to heal his dying son. So we see that this man has faith in Christ's ability to to work this miracle, to perform a miraculous sign, and to heal his son, that there's a faith that this man has in Jesus. He's heard about Jesus and his power to save, and there's a faith there. But there's also this faith is mixed with a couple things, and maybe you can point this out and see this in verse 47. There's a shallowness to his faith, and well, in Jesus' reply, will. We'll draw this out a little bit. There's a shallowness to his faith. That it's a miracle-oriented faith, as one commentator said. It's a faith that's only concerned about the healing of his son. And not only is there a shallowness, but there's a doubt in the words of this man. There's a doubt. And it's very subtle, it's hard to pick up, but there's a doubt that Jesus is somehow limited to his physical Presence, that Jesus has to go there in order to heal his son. That he couldn't possibly do it from afar, that Jesus needs to come with him. He needs to touch his son or be there physically in order to heal his son. So there's, there's faith present, but it's, it's a shallow faith and it's mixed with doubt about Jesus and his ability. So this is the setting in verses 46 through 47. Next, we'll look at Jesus' response and the sign that he performs. So, in verse 48, this is Jesus' words to this man. He says, So he said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is the part that's left out of the children's story I told you about, right? And you can kind of see why. It's just almost, it reads as a rebuke. It reads as an accusation against this man. And to us, it can sound almost harsh, right? This man has a sick, dying son, and he's asking Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. You will not believe. We know from John chapter 2 that Jesus can see the heart and intentions of every human. That nothing's hidden from his sight. We can't, fake, we can't put on a fake face in order to hide stuff from Jesus. We can't um, you know, say, yeah, this is the truth, and it actually be a lie. Jesus knows the heart and intentions of every man. And not only does he know the heart and intentions of this man, this official, but he knows the heart and intentions of the Galileans. We see in verse 43 that he has come to his hometown of Galilee and it says that he in verse 47 also that he's come to Galilee and it doesn't come across in the English translation but if you look at verse 48 twice when Jesus says unless you that word you there is plural in the Greek it's plural so he's not only speaking to this man, he is speaking to this man and the Galileans. It's almost as if he's saying, you people. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you people will not believe. So he's not just confronting this man, he's confronting really the superficiality of the faith of the Galileans around him. That Jesus here is confronting and challenging The superficiality and the shallowness of miracle-oriented faith and sign-seeking belief. He's confronting and challenging the shallowness and the superficiality of miracle-oriented and sign-seeking faith. And that not only applies to the Galileans, but even to this man. And we've seen this throughout John's Gospel, right? We saw it in John chapter 2. He says to the, peop- the people that were believing in Jesus, they trusted in his name, but it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he saw the intentions of their heart. In John chapter 6, Jesus will, perf- will perform a great miracle. He'll feed the 5,000 with bread and fish. And yet the people, when Jesus presents himself to them, they pull back. They just want another miracle. They just want another sign. They just want another thing. As we read in our liturgy this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul even summarizes it like this. Jews demand signs that there's a type of people that only want this superficial external thing. And these Galileans are those kinds of people. And at the moment, this man is this. And that seems really harsh to us, right? I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) That sounds really harsh that Jesus is confronting this man who has a dying child. And he's saying, you won't believe in me unless you see a miracle. That sounds harsh. Why can't Jesus just heal this man's son? Why can't he just speak the word and go on his way? Why does Jesus have to say this? Why does he have to speak in this way, not only to this man, but to the Galileans? It's because Jesus is after true, saving faith. He's after true, saving faith, as one commentator put it. This is not an accusation, but a challenge to this man. Jesus does not only want to give the Son back to the Father, he wants to give This father himself, Christ. (laughs) That was Herman Ritterboss. He does not only want to give the son, sorry, the father, his son back, he wants to give the father himself. That the healing of this son, this physical sickness, without addressing the sickness of this man's soul, is like putting a Band-Aid on someone that's diagnosed with cancer. It's like saying here's a band-aid, externally it looks like I've done something for you, but it does not address the unseen, internal sickness that's present. And if we're honest with, our, with ourselves this morning, we all have this hidden sickness of the soul. We all have this internal sickness, that we're all guilty before God. We don't trust God. Scripture says that even not unbelief is a sin, that not believing is In God, in Christ, is a sin. And this man, whether he recognizes it or not, is is coming to the Lord, only seeking signs, only seeking this healing of his son. And he's not, his faith is not fully in God. It's not fully in Christ. It's not in what Christ can do for his soul. It's in what Christ can do for him externally. And so we see in verse 49, the man's response to Jesus' challenge, Jesus um, pressing into the heart of the issue. The man responds, sir, come down before my child dies. (laughs) The man is persistent. And we can compare this to other places in scripture. I was thinking of the woman that um, speaks to Jesus and he says some things to her that that seemed very rude. <laughs> he says that the crumbs are for the dogs. <laughs> I'm, I'm misremembering the passage, but we see the persistence of this, of this woman in another gospel account. And we see the persistence of this official here, that he presses in. And again, this faith is here. He, he really believes that Jesus can, can help him, can be there for him, can be there for his son. But it's still mixed with unbelief, as John Gill says, that he believes that Jesus can heal, but still it's mixed with unbelief. That he again believes that Jesus has to be physically present in order to heal. In other words, that Jesus is somehow limited in his ability. Because it says, again, he's pressing this point, come down, sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't believe that Jesus can work this miracle even from miles away. And so we see Jesus respond with these words of grace. He says to him in verse 50, Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. This is amazing. This man is thinking that Jesus has to come with him, has to be physically present in order to heal his dying son. And Jesus tells him, go, your son will live. And this is a test in a sort, right? It would be easy for the man, if he was really seeking only physical, external things, he would have to see the miracle in order to believe. This is sort of a test, right? Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't have true, saving faith in Jesus and in his ability, he's going to say, no, you have to come with me. I have to see it myself. So this is sort of a test. Jesus is almost saying, where is your faith? Is it in the signs? Is it in the external thing? Or is it in me? Can you believe without seeing physically? As Hebrews 11 says, that faith is assurance of things hoped for and confidence of things not seen. This is what Jesus is confronting. Will this man have confidence in Jesus, even though he cannot see this miracle performed. And at the end of verse 50, we see the man's response to this. I love these words. It says, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, the promise that he didn't need to see this miracle. Whatever was in him, this mixture of unbelief at the beginning, this need to see a sign, this need is gone. Suddenly, he believes the word of Christ without seeing. As we read in Genesis, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That this man who was maybe, probably seeking signs only, is now believing without even seeing the sign. One commentator said this, the word of Christ here not only healed the son of his sickness, but the father of his unbelief. That he was no longer coming to Christ merely as a faith healer, as someone that could give him external things, whether it was the healing of his son or, you know, financial benefit or whatever it is. Jesus is no mere faith healer. He is now seen and believed that Jesus is the Son of God, that he can heal not only the body, but the soul with a simple word. Just as creation itself was spoken into existence, at John chapter 1 we see that the Word of God, Christ himself, is the one that became incarnate. And is now ministering to this man and ultimately the unseen ministry of the spirit in this man's heart, opening his eyes of unbelief to believe in Christ in his ability to save. And we see this confirmed in the response in verses 41 and sorry, 51 through 54. So we've seen the setting, we've seen the sign and we see the confirmation and the response of this. In the rest of our passage, that this miracle is confirmed by an independent source, right? This man had left his son and his home. He'd gone to Cana. He'd seen Jesus. Jesus said, Go, your son will live, and he returns. And on his way home, the servants of this man's house come to him and say, Your son is well. Your son is well. He's recovered. And he asked him, when did he get better? And he says, the seventh hour, which is 1 o'clock our time, 1 p.m. And he knew that that was the hour that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. That this is no mere coincidence. This is no mere happenstance. Jesus here healed the man's son from 20 miles away. And these servants come, had no idea what was going on and verify your son is well. He's gotten better, and it was at this time, and the Father knows this was the work of God. This is the work of Christ. His servants had no idea. This is no coincidence. This is the work of the Son of God incarnate saving his son, saving his son. And then we see the response to this in verse 53. It says, he himself believed and all his household. Believed what? What did they believe? Did they believe that this healing happened? Merely? Did they believe in Jesus' miraculous power only? Or is there something more to their belief, right? Because the same word is you. I mean, it says in verse 50 that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went on his way. And there's a way that we could read that where it's just simply, he believed that Jesus was going to heal his son, and he came back home and his son was healed. And then look, he believed here, and his family believed, and they just believed that Jesus did a miracle. And that's it. Because it doesn't say much more. It says this is the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. So we just wash our hands. They believe that Jesus is able to do a miraculous sign. That's it. But John is not saying that here. (laughs) John's not saying that here. John is telling us that this is more than just sign-seeking faith. That these people, their eyes are not stopping on the sign itself. They're not just focused on this miracle that their son got better, but their eyes are running up that sign to the doer of the sign, to the one that has power to heal from afar, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, and they are saying... This is the Lord. This is the Christ. This belief here in verse 53 is not just a, a belief in miracles, but a belief in the Lord Jesus. That this is the nature of true saving faith. This is what we've talked about, receiving and resting on Christ alone. It doesn't say all that in this passage. We're using our understanding of the rest of Scripture to inform what's going on here. <laughs> That when it says they believed, this is what is going on. They are receiving and resting on Christ alone. That this miracle is not the point. (laughs) This miracle is not the point. The point is their response to Christ's work. And that is to believe in him for eternal life. So what is the point of this passage? What is the point of this passage? This passage often gets used by other circles to say things like this. Healing is just around the corner for you. All you need to do is believe Jesus. And you can have your healing today. Believe for your miracle today. Claim your miracle today. Maybe you've heard people say that. Or maybe it's you just need to have more faith. Right? The guy at the beginning, he had a little bit of faith, but by the end, he really believed, he believed so much that he left. And so you just need to believe God more. And I say all this not to just bash people. It's easy to just dunk on people. But this type of thinking and theology that would take this passage and use it in this way is such a burden. <laughs> it's such a weight to people. It says, and I've heard things like this. Jesus wants to heal you. But you just need to have more faith. You need to believe more. And faith is used not as a receiving and resting on Christ alone, but it's used as a work almost. You need to do this more. You just need to have more of this umph, this fuel, whatever it is. And Jesus, he really wants to do this, but you have to believe more. Or maybe, maybe you're struggling with sickness. Maybe you're struggling with infertility. Maybe you can't get pregnant. And so you just need to have enough faith And you need to go out and buy baby clothes or you need to buy a crib. And that's how God's going to answer your prayer is by you just acting out of faith in this radical way that's totally it's 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 turning faith into a work. It's turning it into a burden, into a weight. So what stands out in this passage and that's. That's why I'm confronting this, because this passage gets used in the opposite way in which it's intended. We're not meant to look at this passage and see this great grand faith of this man. It's actually the opposite. This man, what stands out in this passage is not the strength and the vigor of this man's faith. His faith is actually pretty weak. He's originally coming to Jesus only to receive this miraculous sign it's mixed with this unbelief. He believes Jesus has to be physically, bodily present in order to do this. The point of this passage is not the strength of this man's faith. It's the object of his faith. It's the object of his faith. The object of his faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is able to say, What are we saying this morning? In Christ alone my hope is found. In Christ alone. Not in these other things, but in Christ alone. We'll sing later, solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. There's a world of difference between shallow, superficial faith and weak faith. There's a world of difference between shallow, superficial faith and weak faith. Shallow, superficial faith is only focused on the external. It's focused on what can God give me? What can he do for me? What can he do in my life? Can he give me a car, a miracle? What can God do for me? That's shallow faith. It's superficial faith. But that's not to be confused with weak faith. In the other Gospels it says, faith as small as a a mustard seed is able to move mountains. So it's not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. And if we're honest, we're a lot like this man. We act a lot like this man, whether we want to admit it or not. Maybe we're not seeking miracles, but our faith is weak. It's needy. It's helpless. We're focused on the wrong things usually when it comes to our faith and what we're focusing on. And this passage is a great comfort to us because it's not about the strength of our faith, But the object of our faith. So that's what stands out and how this passage often gets misused. But another thing to point out is notice the love and mercy of Christ, not bound by distance. Not bound by distance. This man assumed that Jesus had to be bodily present in order to help him, in order to save his son, in order to perform this miracle, in order to bring grace to him. Christ had to be physically present. How often do we wish that Christ was physically present with us, right? We just wish that we could see the Christ risen and say, there he is, our faith is confirmed, right? When we struggle with unbelief, many different churches and denominations try to account for this in different ways. The Catholic Church believes that Christ has to be physically present in the Lord's Supper in order to bring grace to people. right? They would believe that by some miraculous thing the bread and the wine are turned into the physical body of Christ. That he has to be physically present in order to bring grace to us. And there's that, whether we, we don't believe that, but there's that desire in us that we want Christ to minister to us in a physical way. I just think about my kids and how much my daughters need physical comfort, right? When they're sad, they want physical comfort. When someone's sick or dying, we want, physical, we want to bring them physical comfort. And so in our bodily, in our flesh, we long for that. We long for Christ to minister to us in a physical way. But notice how Jesus does that, not from physically being there, but at a distance, at a distance. He's not limited by his physical bodily presence. He is able to bring grace to his people without being physically present. Kendall, what are you saying? (laughs) Look at verse 50. It says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke. He believed the word. That's What we should be like. (laughs) Will we believe the word? Will we believe the gospel? Will we believe what Christ is speaking through his word, through his gospel? Will we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus has to be physically present? Or will we believe the word that was spoken? Jesus will later go on to say in John, to Thomas, who had to touch Jesus' wounds physically, he says, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. That we as believers in this age, one day we will be raised with resurrection bodies, we will be with Christ, we will reign with Him forever, and we will be physically present with our risen Savior. That's our hope. That's our ultimate goal. That's our hope. In this life we don't, we're don't we not promised that. Our hope now, this age, is Faith. It is faith in what we cannot see. By faith, Abraham believed God. Just read Hebrews eleven. Even the Old Testament saints looked forward to what they could not see. And that is what we are doing. We are looking to what we cannot see. We are looking to the risen Christ who is in heaven now, ministering to his people by his spirit right now. He's not bound. So don't get don't get it confused just because Christ isn't physically here in this room that doesn't mean he's not present with us by his spirit. He's gone into heaven, he's poured out his spirit, he's not bound by physical space. That is a blessing. Jesus said to his disciples, "It's better that I go. It's better that I ascend." What? His disciples are like, "You've been with us for 3 years. What do you mean it's better that I go?" He's saying, "It's better that I go." So I can pour out my spirit. So I can be present with my church. Without being physically there. But present spiritually. Wherever the word is preached. Christ is present. And by his spirit we're united to him by faith. And all the benefits that Christ won are given to us. And that's a great joy. So. This morning, as we close, may we be like this man who believed the word that Christ had spoken. Believed the promise. It's so difficult. In this age of physical things, we are people in America. We are a consumeristic culture. We click a button on Amazon and something is physically present with us in two days. We need it now, physically. There's this endorphin that happens when we, when we have that when we open that package when we have something physically. Let's not succumb to that with our with our faith. Faith is receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation. It's believing in what we cannot see. That we are sinners. That Christ has done what we could not. He's been raised. He's defeated sin, Satan, sin, and death. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that is our hope. It's not in what we can see, but in the unseen. That Christ has done it, and that with the eyes of faith this morning, may we behold our Savior. May we trust in him alone. And as we come this morning to the Lord's Supper, the same thing applies. This is not a miraculous turning into the physical presence of Christ. But we are promised in Scripture that Christ is is spiritually present with His people in the Word and in the sacraments. He is present with His people. That He ministers grace to His people through the Word. When you hear the Word, when you hear the Gospel and believe it, grace comes to your soul. (laughs) When you see that you're a sinner and you need Christ, grace comes to your soul. And the same thing is true when we take the Lord's Supper with the eyes of faith, we are, our eyes are meant to not focus on the thing itself, but look to the one with whom it represents, Christ himself, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, so that our sin might be forgiven. And even though he's not physically present, he is promised to be spiritually present with his church when they gather on the Lord's Day, in spirit and in truth. So we have hope this morning, that Christ is present with us, that by faith, grace comes to our souls, that he changes us, he makes us new. That's our hope this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the eyes of faith, that, as our confession says, faith is a gift, we can't even work up enough to, to accomplish faith. Faith is a saving grace. It is a grace of God. And so this morning, we, may we praise you not only for giving us the gift of faith, but praise you for the object of our faith, Christ crucified. And even though you are not physically present with us this morning, You are spiritually present with us, ministering to us by your Spirit in power. That is the power of God, is Christ crucified. And we look forward to the day where we will be with you physically. In resurrected bodies, where there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sorrow. But life everlasting with our risen Lord and Savior. Lord, our faith is weak this morning. It's mixed with unbelief. And may our prayer be like that of the man in the Gospels who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help us this morning. Help us to find our faith in you alone. And may we receive the gift of salvation this morning and rest upon you alone. Not our works, but your works. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We come now to the Lord's Supper where, as I said, um, we're reminded that this is not a meal for the strong. It's not for those that have everything figured out in their Christian walk. It is for those who understand their great need and their great Savior. And that this meal, as humble as it may be, nourishes our souls. It points our eyes to the finished work of Christ. Just like the word, the gospel preached, should point our eyes, eyes to Christ. It shouldn't point us to ourselves. shouldn't point us to some external thing. It should point us to Christ. And in the same way, the supper reminds us of what Christ has done. In the past of his death, present his His. Proclaiming his death even now and the future until he comes again. That he's done this for us and for our salvation. That our faith is increased and strengthened when we behold and partake with eyes of faith. And reminded of this great promise in John 6, it says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. And this is by faith alone. By beholding Christ. The gospel of Christ. With the eyes of faith. And so we're reminded of the words of institution. On the the Lord on the night he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said this is my body. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the supper and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, ratified in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That this supper is not my invention. It's not someone's invention. Our Lord instituted it and said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget, as bad as the sermon might be, as bad as your week might be, Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget what Christ has done. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we might be forgiven. So if you're not a believer, if your faith is not in Christ, we ask that you not come. Right? Paul has strong words for those that partake in an unworthy manner. But for those that have put their faith in Christ, we're to come confessing our sin, our shortcomings but rejoicing that Christ has done it and that we have life in his name alone. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this ordinance, this sacrament, this humble means of grace that you've given us for our benefit, so that we will not forget just as the rainbow hangs in the sky as a promise that you will not destroy the earth again. In the same way, these these signs of bread and wine are a sign of promise that for those that partake by faith, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Blood has been spilled so that ours might not. Atonement has been made. Help us this morning, Lord, to believe in Christ and to be changed. We pray that you would be present with us this morning by your Spirit, that you would minister to our souls and that you would take these humble elements and that you would bless our souls through them, that you would bless this supper, Lord. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. We'll just form a line here in the middle, grab the elements, and we'll partake of them together. week, we take this bread and we're reminded that this bread that we break is a communion of the body of Christ. So we're to take it, we're to eat, we're to remember and believe that Christ's body was broken for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And in the same way, this cup. Of wine represents Christ's blood that was spilt, the perfect lamb of God, to take away our sins, past, present, and future. So we take, drink, remember, and believe that Christ's blood has covered all of our sins. solid rock. us spiritually somehow, but that it's an act of worship to our triune God for all that he's given us so that his gospel might be proclaimed and go to the nations from Judea, Samaria, Galilee, to the ends of the earth. So uh, let's pray for our offerings this morning. Lord, we thank you for your great provision, your providence in our life, for preserving us and watching over us and providing for us, Lord, with all that we need with food and shelter and with these we can be content. And as we give a portion, a small portion of what you have graciously given us back to you as an act of worship. We pray that you would bless these humble offerings and that you would use them for the growth of your gospel throughout the world. And here indicator. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.
1: Would you please sing with me, Hymn number thirteen, The Doxology?